we're going to miss something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, this is a very, very common behavior, and it was indeed the sort of um, instigation for me to do this book, um, asking how many of the behaviors that we do over and over and over again that we can't seem to resist doing are in fact because we need to drain away what would otherwise be intolerable anxiety, as opposed to because they they make us happy, they give us pleasure. So when I'm on a bus or standing at the bus stop, and there are all those people tapping away at their phones all around me, they're not necessarily looking for distraction or pleasure even. They're anxious? In many cases, absolutely. And the reason is that the 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 structure, as it's called, the reward structure of texts or emails or a tweet, whatever you're looking for on your phone, is what psychiatrists describe as intermittent and variable, which simply means they're like a slot machine. In a slot machine, you could get orange, lemon, cherry, pull after pull after pull, and you never win. And then suddenly you get, you know, jackpot. So it's completely unpredictable. Same with, let's do texts. Um, You can get one after another after another. And every once in a while, there actually is one that's important. And the other, you are really glad that you didn't miss even for, you know, two seconds. So it's that uncertainty that tethers us to the phone. The other thing that's going on here is that more and more of us just simply cannot stand to be alone with our thoughts. And I'll give you just one sort of amazing experiment that pointed this out. Researchers took away the smartphones of a bunch of volunteers, and they the volunteers were told, you can either just, you know, sit and stare into space and, you know, think about whatever problems you're having or think about what you're going to be doing tonight, you know, whatever. Or you can give yourself an electric shock. And <laughs> almost half the people could not stand to just do the daydream introspection thing, and they preferred to give themselves electric shocks. You're so, kidding. People I am would not rather you. people yes. would rather give themselves an electric shock just yes. rather than just so sit there a, alone. That wasn't everybody. It was about half. But still, that's an awful lot of people who just needed the external stimulus of an electric shock rather than just sitting and thinking. Mm-hmm. So something a similar psychology is going on when we just can't stop looking at our screens. Well, I know anxiety is on the rise. I think actually your book quotes a bunch of different studies, but it's it's just recently turned out to be the, what, the most diagnosed mental illness on college campuses now. So does that mean that we're living in an, a country with rising levels of compulsive behavior? Are we all becoming compulsive? Right. But I think it's just incontrovertible um, that there are just way more sources of anxiety today than at least, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And whether it's, you know, anxiety over environmental harms or the next terrorist attack or maybe a somewhat less fraud example, but even something as seemingly inconsequential as online shopping used to be. You would go to a store, there was a limited supply, you would you would have a sense of what the entire supply was, you would make your choice, hand them your credit card, and off you go. And then came Zappos. <laughs> yes, and then came Zappos, where the number of pages is in the hundreds. So again, right. you know, maybe you're on page two and you really like that pair of boots, but something in your brain says, what about page 712? So it's it's not a surprise that many of us are feeling anxiety. And like the woman who keeps her house controlled and in order to a T, we feel that we have to do one thing in our life 
to keep it under control, to give us a sense that we have agency, that we have some effect and control on the world. And for many people, it's a compulsive behavior. Well, this raises such an interesting question about how we label things, how we decide what's pathological and what's normal and and what's not. Um, I mean, you point out, for instance, that as a culture, we treat various compulsions differently. So something like hoarding, we ridicule. Something like, say, compulsive exercising or workaholism is admired. So why is that? Right. So when I describe these behaviors as existing along a continuum on a spectrum, the obvious question is, okay, where at those extremes do do you cross from, you know, sort of eccentric or quirky into this is pathological, this is a mental illness. And the best I could come up with was to defer to the official psychiatric explanation, which is this. If a behavior causes distress or impairment, then...